Okay. So this week, uh, y'all, I'm so excited. This may be, um, I just have so much joy in delivering this. Um, so, but we'll see what, we'll see what happens. So let's turn with me. If you have your Bibles, turn with me, if you will, to Matthew chapter seven. If you do not have your Bibles, open your device to Matthew chapter seven. And for those that have neither, it will be on the screen. And I'll, I would ask if you would rise in body or in spirit as we read the word of the Lord. <clears throat> this is a juicy one. Let's, you know what? Let's read it together. We're going to go verses one through five. Cool. This is the ESV. It says, judge not that you be not judged for with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is the log in your own eye. You hypocrites. First take the log out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. All right, so let me just test our like popular culture, whatever, common knowledge shared shared brain when you read the scripture judge not lest you be judged what's the first thing is there like a popular figure that you think about immediately or am i dating myself i'm old tupac yes but we're both old yes okay so tupac had this whole track called only god can judge me and i feel like we've taken that on and like identified with it as a culture we're like yes this is the word of the lord the word of the lord does not say that but let me tell you i was actually reading through the lyrics in preparation for this sermon and uh pack is talking about y'all all these people are telling me how to live my life but they have no idea how hard my life really is i'm in the threat of bodily danger every single day like how am I not supposed to do X, Y, and Z when another person is going to do X, Y, and Z to me first? Am I not supposed to live? Am I not supposed to prosper? Am I not supposed to have financial wealth? You can't judge me. Only God can. So, Pac, I get it. I get it. And even the phrase only God can judge me is not all the way wrong. Because in actuality, nobody can judge all the way like God can. Because ain't nobody holy, ain't nobody righteous, ain't nobody good but God. And so God is the ultimate judge and ultimate discerner of the thoughts and intents of our heart. And there isn't a being anywhere that can see us and know us the way that God can. But this text is not saying don't judge. It's not saying that. But before people get excited, it's also not say feel free to be judgmental. So we're going to dig into this. All right. So we all know what it feels like to be judged, to be in a judgy situation. I'm going to use it in a literal sense. Sometimes I drive a little bit fast and I have had to appear, appear before a judge before. I won't tell you how many times because when you get pulled over for reckless driving, you either like say I'm guilty and I, have, I get, you get points on your license or you get ready to like plead your case before the judge and you're like, maybe I'll get driving school, maybe not. So when I go, when I've gone before the judge, I've gone before the, this is in Richmond, 
My whole life has been different since I moved to Richmond. I won't get in trouble with the law before I came down here. So I know that the judge can say, you have to pay this ridiculous fine or your license is getting suspended because you were going 92 in a 55. This is hypothetical. (laughs) Or he has like 90 seconds to determine whether I'm a good enough person to get sent to driving school. So here's what I do. I get dressed, I get dressed up, I put on like a blouse. I got on a blouse right now, but that just isn't necessarily the way I rock on a day-to-day basis. Put on a blouse, I put on a Holy Ghost filled skirt that comes down here. And I, I'm so modest, like I wouldn't be wearing these big hoop earrings. Like I, I'm not myself, but I know that I don't, I don't think that the judge is ready for myself. So... I come before the judge, and I'm like, this is this middle-aged man. It's just, just, I'm like, be calm, be calm. And so I put on this whole, I'm like, yes, sir, no, sir. I'm putting on this really thick southern accent. I am from Connecticut, you guys. <laughs> but I feel like if I'm northern, people will be like, she's rude and aloof. So I'm like, oh, yes, sir, absolutely, sir. He's like, do you know that you were driving too fast? Absolutely, sir. I, you know, I just, I wasn't paying attention. It was a rental car and I'm not used to the speedometer. Just going on it, literally, I don't know where this accent is coming from. But what I, but the point is I presented this version of myself that was inauthentic because that judge did not know me. I knew that he had 90 seconds to make a judgment on whether I was going to pay a thousand dollars or use my Groupon for $42 and take that driving class. So I just became this person I was not. I wasn't going to be bossy, loud, kicking, talking about that's lit. And I'm not going, I couldn't do all of that. And so I just was thinking, you know, how many of us present a false version of ourselves to people around us, to the people that were gathered at tables around, to the people we worship with, because these people do not really know us. And we feel like, yo, if they really knew me, they wouldn't count me worthy to sit with them, to eat with them, to hang with them, to lift my hands and worship with them. How often do we do that? Or if we are ourselves, if we do open up, they're going to be focusing all our efforts on trying to fix us. Mm, Jesus. So y'all, we all know what it feels. I'm, I'm hearing in the room, we know what it feels like to be under the eyes of judgment. And that's real. I'm not sure that the church at large has done a good job at stewarding the authority that God has given us. And hurt that's come at the hands of a brother or sister of Christ, that thing lingers if we don't allow God to heal that. So, y'all, I'm not trying to lessen that. I'm not trying to, like, uh, you know, sweep it under the rug. Thank you, baby. Sweep it under the rug. But I'm calling on us to fix our eyes on God's call, especially to this church, on God's call for spiritual unity. And let's figure out how we can walk out the spirit of this passage in light of that. So as I was reading Matthew chapter 7, I I had a few thoughts. It was uh, something in my spirit was uh, resonating with about three things. The first thing was about community. The second thing was about hypocrisy. And the third thing was about submission. Submission is a tough word for us, I know. 
Standing in front of a judge that we don't know and doesn't know us is nerve-wracking. And sometimes we feel like that's how it is with our brothers and sisters in Christ. And coming into Christian community with people that we don't even really know like that, who we know also got some junk of their own, that can also be nerve-wracking. But I just want to stop for a second. I think a lot of us feel like it's hard to be held accountable by by people. Because when we say judging, we're really talking about judging in this uh, context could mean pronouncing people guilty before God. That's what that word means, pronouncing people guilty before God. But I think a lot of times there's an attempt by people in the church to hold others accountable that we also call judging. And so I think we say, don't judge me, don't judge me when somebody's just trying to simply hold us accountable, hold us to the standard that God has set forth for his church. And we say, well, they got a mess in their lives or they wasn't always perfect, so how can they say anything to me? But listen, yes, people do have junk in their lives. But I think it's kind of dope that people have junk in their lives because junk feels like it should disqualify you, but what it actually does is qualify. Like, listen, it's the unredeemed junk that disqualifies Right, I'm not talking about being disqualified from access to God. I'm just talking about disqualifies, makes you not able to speak into somebody else's life. But it's the redeemed junk. You know how the people say one man's junk is another man's treasure? Some of us need to let God turn our junk into treasure. And it's that redeemed junk. It's that treasure that was once junk that blesses other people and releases them to live redeemed and whole lives. That's a gift. It's how you know I'm not the only one out here twisting in the wind. I feel like I'm three sheets to the wind and everything is tangled up and nobody else is being real with me. No, if we open our mouths and share that God has redeemed me from the hands of the enemy, then people can be free. But it's weird. Like people hide their unredeemed junk, which is kind of like, I'm not going to say I understand that because you shouldn't, we live in light, but I can kind of understand the, the knowledge or the reasoning behind that. But we also hide our redeemed junk. We act like God ain't never done nothing for us. Like we've always been Holy Ghost filled and laying on the altar speaking in tongues our entire lives. But let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Whom he has redeemed from the hands of the enemy. We overcome by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. You can say, yo, I used to be bound, but I'm not no more. I used to be blind, but I'm not no more. I used to be a fornicator, but I'm not no more. I used to be a liar, but I am not anymore. I used to be, I used to be any number of things, but I'm not anymore because of the grace of God. I used to be empty, but now I'm full to overflowing. I used to be prideful, but now I walk before the Lord with a humble heart. We have to say these things out loud because the less we say them, the more bound everyone around us is. We have got to open our mouths and proclaim what Jesus Christ has done for us. Y'all, we can't act like we don't have nothing weird in our lives. We all do, I promise. I got weird stuff. We can talk about it later. If y'all like, put your money where your mouth is. (laughs) But y'all, do you hear me? This isn't even the main point. But y'all, I need y'all to listen. Whatever God has done for you, don't hide it. Share it with somebody because somebody else is struggling. And they think, oh, this, this must be how it's supposed to be. 
I must be supposed to be bound. I must be supposed to be in sin. I must be supposed to be in slaves or in chains or no freedom in my mind, no peace in my mind. But y'all, there's somebody in this house that's been delivered from suicidal thoughts. There's somebody in this house that's been delivered from depression. There's someone in this house from that's been delivered from sexual immorality. And somebody is waiting for you to get up and say something and give God glory so they can be free. All right. Let me get back to my notes. Imagine this. Everybody close your eyes and imagine. Imagine living a life in the open. A life that is submitted to God and is in free-flowing relationship with brothers and sisters who are equally submitted, who are equally living submitted in open lives. Imagine a life where you do not have to hide. A life where you don't have to be bound up or subject to shame or fear or rejection because there's a God who loves you so much that he decided to take up residence in your very person. And there is a community around you that is committed to fighting for your highest good, no matter the cost. A family that loves you, that honors you, and will remind you who you are and whose you are when you have forgotten Doesn't that feel good? Doesn't that feel like a warm summer day for breeze with no chemicals? Like it just feels good and warm to imagine it. And I feel like that's where God wants to take us. In having free-flowing relationship with our brothers and our sisters where we can be fully ourselves. And let me tell you, none of us are going to reach perfection until the kingdom comes right into the earth. But until that day, we can live with and for each other, bearing each other up, carrying each other's burdens in a life of love and mutual submission. When we're a part of a spiritual family that is founded and rooted in Jesus Christ and there's actual relationship and trust there, there is freedom in the words that we speak over each other. That includes words of encouragement and words of correction. Words of correction do have a place in the life of a believer and in the community of believers. And you may not like it, but it's true. The Bible says it. I'm going to tell you an example. Okay, so I have this friend. The names have been changed to protect identities. Her name is Selena, and she in general don't want nobody to say nothing to her about any of her actions. Just doesn't. Like, don't question her. Don't question her motives. She belongs to God. She loves God. Just don't say nothing to her. But she can also be kind of a lot, just in general. But all of us in our, like, in the friend group, no, you just can't say much to Selena except for Gloria. You like how I got these like Latina singers, Gloria Stefan, Salinas. Gloria can tell her about herself up, down, backwards, forwards, this, that, and the third. Gloria can literally run her into the ground. And she'll be like, you know, I never considered it that way. Thank you for sharing that. And the rest of us will be literally be like so blown. It's like, oh, you couldn't, you didn't have a mirror until now, until Gloria decided to open her mouth. But the thing is, and she, Selena explains it like this. She genuine, genuinely believes that Gloria has her best at heart. She believes that nothing Gloria ever says to her was, is to harm her or for malice. 
That's just something she holds to be true. And while I think that Selena could allow some room for other people to be Christians in her life and to speak into her, I just think that the way she regards that one friend is how we should regard each other. I know I trust you. I know you're never going to tell me anything that's going to harm me. That You're only telling me things to build me up. You're only telling me things to encourage me. John 13, 34, it says, a new command I give you. Do we have, do I have John 13, 34? Yeah, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You are also... You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. How is the world going to know we belong to Jesus? By our love. Love means we take a responsibility for each other. If a parent says, I love my kids, but takes no responsibility for them, for their well-being, we may call into question, how is that love actually being played out? But if we say we love our brother and our sister and we take no responsibility for their spiritual health, their spiritual life, how are we actually loving? Because love, I think what we think love is, is acceptance under any, at any cost. And that's not necessarily what it is. But y'all saying amen. Y'all saying amen. But it got to be more than, you know, tough love. It got to be also gracious and extravagant love. The same love that Jesus extends to us. Because we fall down all the time, all the time, all the time, all the time. And Jesus, all right, baby, come on, keep going. All right, keep going, keep going. So don't get crazy. But the responsibility is not, oh, before I get there, it says Galatians 6, 1 says, brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the spirit should restore that person gently. I'll say that again. Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit, not just any of y'all doing anything, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently, but watch yourselves. Or you may also be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. But this responsibility is not just to correct each other. In Ephesians chapter 5, it says, don't get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to each other with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Spiritual family is not, uh, spiritual family is a way of life. It's not just I pop up and tell you when you ain't doing right. Spiritual family, we live in a rhythm of life together. That's what spiritual family and spiritual unity is. And the reason I can come in here and say these things is because y'all are my spiritual family. I can't come in here guns blazing, hollering, and talking about this is what y'all need to do to get your... Nope, I have some relational capital that I've invested here. Which leads me to what I'm about to say next. So I talked about community. The next one is hypocrisy. What Jesus is talking about here in this chapter is hypocrisy. He's saying this, you so busy worrying about what, any, what everybody else is doing, you have no self-awareness. You're worried about everybody else and you have your own giant sin that you haven't dealt with. And you so spiritually discerning, you so deep that you're able to, to discern a little spot of sin that's undetectable by the human eye. But everyone around you can see where you're falling short, where you're hurting other people, where you're prideful, where you're weak. 
Jesus is like, stop that. What does this mean for us? It means that unconfessed and unrepentant sin is unacceptable and has no place in the life of the believer. And in fact, it probably disqualifies us from living out the fullness of what it means to be in true unity and true community with our brothers and sisters. I'll say that one more time. Unconfessed and unrepentant sin in our lives is unacceptable and it probably disqualifies us from living out the fullness of what it means to be in true community with our brothers and sisters. Y'all, sin is real and it needs to be dealt with. That's what the Lord is saying. We can't ignore it. Some, listen, let me say something. I'm good at ignoring sin. I'm like, no, I'm anointed. I was singing on Sunday and people were crying. So that thing, God can't possibly be asking me to, cease and desist that thing but he do be (laughs) when we have unconfessed and unrepented sin how do we hold and bear our brother and sister up how do we carry each other's burdens how do we share the load we're weighed down ourselves how do we call people out of darkness into the marvelous light with any sort of sincerity when we aren't allowing the gospel to transform our lives Not saying that the gospel won't transform your lives. It's about what we allow the gospel to do. It's about what we allow the spirit of God to do in our lives and in our hearts. And it's why many of us don't have nothing to say to those who don't know Jesus. Because we're like, man, my life ain't together. What am I going to say to them? You're kind of right. But listen, deal with the sin. This is a, this is a grace to us. This is not a, an area of condemnation. Jesus is saying, yo, I knew your favorite sin before the foundation of the world. I knew it. I died for you anyway. Just let it go. Just give it to me. Come to me, my child, all you who are weary and heavy laden. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. Just like the possible, Apostle Paul says, lay aside every weight and the sin that so easily besets us. Yo, it's not game over if there's sin in your life. Just take it off. Just take it off and be free. You don't have to be bound. You don't have to be bound by sin, by shame, by guilt. Just take it off and be free. Why do we have unrepented sin? It might be because we're afraid to walk in the light. There may be fear that our sin disqualifies us from being in relationship with Jesus, which it does not. I just said it. In fact, Jesus died for our sins in order that we might be in relationship with him. He wants us to bring the fullness of ourselves to him. Jesus is not scared of what you're dealing with. There is no no sin so great that the work of Calvary did not cover it. There is no sin so great that the work of Calvary did not cover it. Even the worst sin you could imagine, not even that one. And I'm so glad ain't none of us in here, God, because I'm sure there's a couple on the list. That those of us would be like, nope, that person ain't never getting in. Nope, that person ain't never having access to me. Nope, nope, nope. But God, who is rich in mercy, slow to anger and abounding in love, sent himself that we all might be free. He knew what he was doing from before time. So fear keeps us from uh, letting go of our sin, but also pride. Pride keeps us from confessing our sin because we think that there is no problem. We're getting away with it, so it's cool. Or I'll deal with it later. I'm still being used by God. That's my favorite line. I'm just being completely honest with y'all. God is using me, so it must be okay. Not so. So I talked about 
community, talked about hypocrisy, talked about submission. No, I haven't talked about submission yet. We're talking about it right now. Submission. While we're on the subject of pride, pride keeps us from submitting. But what does that have to do with Matthew chapter 7? In verse 5 of Matthew 7, it says that Jesus is actually saying that I am supposed to help my brother remove the speck from his eye. Jesus doesn't forbid all evaluation or judgment of others. This is actually what my study Bible said. Jesus doesn't forbid all evaluation or judgment of others for ultimately the one who feels grieved and humbled over their own sin can help remove the speck from others. What Jesus does rule out is the pride that views oneself as better than others. But y'all think about this. Think about getting some out your eye. Do you remember when you were a kid and you would have an eyelash on your eye? You'd be like, mom, something's in my eye. Maybe by mom. It was the worst because I knew what was coming. My mom had long nails, and she'd be like, okay, Pooh, and she would try to dig the eyelash out with her nail. I, I know she wasn't trying to dig, but in my mind's eye as a child, it was a digging. Or she would be like, and, like, you're, like, blown as a kid. Like, ah, ah. But it would be over if you just relaxed and just let her do it, right? So if there's going to be specks being removed out of eyeballs, we have to submit to that process. And it is going to be uncomfortable, but there has to be submission. And I know submission is hard. And y'all might be like, no, mm-mm, I feel like you should submit to God and submit to each other. But I know it's hard for this house. And y'all, we've been doing better at this so far, but it's still generally a rule. I can tell you the submission is hard for this house, and this is the perfect example. When it's time for y'all to end, for us to end the greeting, and the person is up here saying, can y'all please come back to your seats? They get ignored. Hard body. Hard body. People are like, okay, I'm going to finish what I'm saying. Or, oh, this is a person I haven't seen for like six hours. Let me go say something to them. Let me start a new conversation. As Makita with a little voice, Makita had to write a whole song to get y'all to come and sit down. She had to send it to Universal Publishing Group. Like, y'all laughing, but it's real. If we can't even submit our conversations to what the person up front is trying to do, how are we going to be submitted to each other in the real things of our lives, like with our sex lives, with our money, with our pride issues? How do we do that? The order of submission is submitted to God first. Submitted to those whom he's given us as leadership. Submitted to each other, to this community. I was talking to Shekinah earlier today, and she said that submitting to her body, submitting to the body of Christ, not to her body, submitting to the body of Christ has saved her life. Walking in submission to the authority that God has set out has actually saved her life. People called out things that were not quite right. People challenged her to be the woman that God has called and created her to be. And people spoke words of life and encouragement and built her up until she's this great woman of God that y'all see before you uh, today. We all are going to need an eyelash taken out at some point. 
Some of you may hear this and say, oh, man, I'm not perfect. So that means you just talked about hypocrites. I'm not perfect, so I, I can't really say anything to anyone. None of us is perfect. In fact, some of us are so worried about being judgmental or coming off as judgmental that we don't say nothing to nobody about anything. We say, oh, that person is grown. I'm going to let them live their life. Or, well, God will, let them know, God will let them know, surely I can't be the one to say this thing. But what do we see in Scripture? Being grown ain't got nothing to do with it. Grown people disobey God all the time, and God has an attitude about it. And very often, very, very often, God uses the voice of his people to speak into his people's lives. That's real. That's what we see in Scripture. We may not like it, but that's what God has set up. And even when we're thinking about submitting to our leaders, even here in this house, the image of pastoral leadership is that of being a shepherd, keeping watch over God's flock. The shepherd can't very well see the sheep going astray and say, well, the flock belongs to God. He'll he'll show them the way back. Mm -mm. That's not it. Shepherd, take your shepherd's hook. Bring that baby right on back. Bring the sheep back. And I think that when we when we're afraid to hold people accountable, when we are afraid to remind people of who, who they are, who they're called to be, we are robbing people of the joy of obedience. There's so much joy that comes with obeying God. Now, I know I've talked a lot about um, being prideful and being, you know, disobedient to God, but God has me on a journey of obedience. And let me tell you, I'm getting dragged. I am getting, but I feel like I've been in the presence of God the entire time. It's been very hard. It's been very difficult. It's actually been heartbreaking at some points. But there's this joy that I have that I didn't have before. When the fullness of my life was submitted to God, when everything that I had, I presented before God with open hands. I'm not going to hold on to nothing no more except for you and your word. There is joy and obedience. So that's why we submit to God. We submit to our leadership and we submit to each other because we all have blind spots. There are always things about us that we cannot see that God uses other people to point out. I'm not sure why it happens like that, but that's just what God set up. So I'm going to ask the band to go back up. And I'm going to ask um, prayer team if y'all could get into place as well. Jesus' prayer before he went to the cross was that we would be one as he and his father are one. And the way we see that unity walked out, lived out in Jesus was that his will was lost in the Father's. He didn't do anything but what the Father told him to do. He didn't go anywhere but where the Father already was. His will, he was obedient even unto death on the cross. And so how can we use that as an example for us today? Father and son lived and walked in perfect unity. The sons will submit it to that of the father. It's, our, it's my prayer for us as a church, as we pray into spiritual unity, that our will will be lost in that of the father's. That we will continually say, not my will, but yours be done. Everything I have is offered completely to you. There's nothing that I'm going to hold on to. There's nothing that's worth more or means more to me than you and your will. So as we enter into a time of prayer and response,
I would ask each of us to reflect. There are some of us here that have unconfessed sin and unrepentant sin that keeps us from living a life fully in submission to God. Some of us have unconfessed sin because we feel like there's no way that God would ever receive me with this. It's too late for me. I'm done. My body is present at church, but I'm going through the motions. I'm I'm never going to be free of this thing. I'm never going to be loose to this thing. I'm telling you that the Father wants you to be free tonight. There's some of us in here that are living hidden lives, living in fear of connecting with others, living in fear of being really vulnerable with other people. There's some of us in the house that have a hardness of heart that keeps us from really submitting to God, to the leaders in our church, to our spiritual family. And that hardness of heart is keeping us from being the light and darkness that God is calling us to be. There are some of us in here that are dealing with fear. We're afraid of rejection. We're afraid of making the wrong move. We're afraid of being fully known. We're afraid of being fully committed. We're afraid of what it means to give God full access to our lives because what God might ask us to give up. There are some of us in the room that have who have yet to make a commitment with Jesus Christ. Let me tell you, every day with Jesus is sweeter than the day before. I know that to be true now. I love Jesus more deeply now than I did when I first knew him when I was 11 years old. Jesus has been more faithful to me than a parent, more faithful than a friend. Jesus has been more generous to me than any benefactor ever. Jesus has been more consistent than anyone that I have ever known. Jesus promised that he would never leave or forsake. And that promise, I'm saying this about me, but y'all, it's for you too. So if you find yourself, if your heart is like, if your chest is pounding with one of these areas, I would encourage you to receive prayer with one of our prayer team to come kneel uh, and bow low before uh, in the presence of God. There's something about when we align our body with our, with our prayer, when we go low, it just takes us deeper and it's something more truer for us. So Lord, I thank you for your presence here. I thank you for your word that challenges and convicts but gives life. Lord, I thank you for your plan that even when we can't feel, even when we can't see, Lord, I pray that we would trust in the plan that you have for us, that we would build our foundation on you, God, that we would build our hope on you, God. We trust you. We acknowledge you as king. And Lord, I pray that each heart in here would present themselves before you with open hands, not holding on to any accoutrements of this world,
For nothing in this world could ever be compared to the glory that is to come. Nothing in this world could ever be compared to the great glory of the promises that are found in Christ Jesus. Lord, this time is yours. Our hearts are yours. Be present here with us. Lord, I pray that you would surround your people with a spirit of peace and with love and with kindness. Remind them that you are for them. You are with them. You love them. You know them. You like them. And you've always been pursuing them. You're forever exalted.